Open your Bibles, if you would. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. As you're doing so, I want to make sure all of our guests this morning, any visitors this morning, whether you're first time or not, we want to make sure that you feel welcome. Um, so having turned to Luke, chapter 2, if you would, turn to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk, and if you're not sure where that is, uh, it's in between the books of Nahum and Sevenaya. I bet that really helped, didn't it, right? Yeah. Uh, worst case scenario, use the table of contents. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. That's where you'll find it. So um, while you're doing that, looking for the book of Habakkuk, I need to make a correction from last week, um, something I said in the message. Now, what I said was correct I just attributed it to the wrong person. I said lots of really, I think, significant stuff uh, about Daniel. And somebody approached me afterward and said, that was all good, but it was actually Nehemiah. So that's what I get for not looking at my notes, right? So a uh, little correction last week. And congratulations to those who spotted it. Um, for those who didn't, read your Bibles more. That's what kind of right? uh, This is the third morning of Advent, and as Pastor Joyce has indicated, our subject is joy. It's one of the words that we associate most with Christmas, it's like everywhere, the cards, the wrapping paper, the displays, joy all over the place. Um, of course, it is a big part of the birth narrative. It's part of our celebration. It's something we should be talking about. But it's also part of the problem that some people have with Christmas. You know, not everybody's excited about Christmas, right? Um, and, and part of the problem some people have is, is this word joy, especially if they're, like, not feeling joyous. And let's face it, we all have times in our lives, a lot of times, when we're not joyous. Well, when we're not feeling joyous, should we, like, pretend that we are? Like, you know, act joyous? Sometimes a lot of stuff gets said in Christian circles along those lines. You know, you really need to act, you know, joyous, right? Are you happy you're saved? Notify your face. You know, we hear a lot of things like that, yeah. I probably said that more than once, right? And there is biblical instruction to rejoice so how, how do we square that when we don't feel joyous, right? Or I, we've probably all had that experience of being in a really hard time and place, and somebody walks up and goes, well, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? Well, if I had his joy, I probably wouldn't need the strength that I already have it, you know? And so if I wasn't in this kind of a place, I would have it. So it, it can be a real challenge, and I, and I understand those feelings. But, you know, a lot of, I think, the angst that we have with that word joy sometimes, uh, there's some cultural things, some cultural differences between ourselves and Scripture that if we maybe got a little better grasp on, um, we would get past the angst or the confusion with those biblical statements about being joyful and, and our own experiences. The thing is, we want to approach this whole question of being joyful, especially at Christmas time, but being joyful as the people of God, not from the perspective of you really should have it, like it's some kind of a moral imperative, you should have it, to the perspective that we can have it, even in difficult, challenging, unpleasant, hard times. We can have joy. And it's to our great advantage to have it especially in difficult, challenging times. Regardless of our circumstances, joy is available to the person walking in fellowship with God. And so that's where we're headed this morning. And to that end, I would encourage you to look in your Bibles. First, to the book of Habakkuk. I hope everybody's found it by now. Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start at the 16th verse. 
He's one, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. That doesn't mean he's not important. It just means his book is small. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the, at the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place, I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like hinds feet. He makes me walk on the high places. And then turning over to the gospel according to Luke, beginning in the 10th, or the, let's begin in the 8th verse. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word as we look to it this morning. Our prayer, Father, our confident prayer is that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, the need of our heart to hear from you, Father. Father, we do live in, in troubling times, Lord. Kind of for many of us, Father, the difficulties are even closer to home. All manner of challenges in our lives, Lord. And yet, we have in your word the confident assurance that you walk with us, and you bring us through, Father, the greatest of difficulties. And so, Father, we look for your word to your word this morning for encouragement and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, it's not so much that we should have it or that we should feel guilty if we don't, but that we can have it, even in difficult circumstances. And to demonstrate that, I'd like to first take just a few, few minutes to talk about definitions, what we mean when we say joy and what the Bible means when it says it, and then look at at it in the Christmas narrative itself, how joy works there, and finally we can ask how that touches us. How do we apply that? Not just in the Christmas season, but all year. So first, some definitions, and that's important, again, because our definition of joy is one thing. Uh, the biblical definition would incorporate our ideas about joy, but there's also a little bit more. You look up joy, you, you know, Google it, and um, you get this definition. It is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And that pretty well expresses our American concept of joy. It's a feeling. It's emotions. It's happy to be joyful. Um, you want to go a little more sophisticated than that, you can look up the Cambridge Dictionary. And that's a, a great happiness or pleasure. Uh, Webster, this side of the pond. Uh, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires, the expression or exhibition of such emotion, a state of happiness or felicity, a source or cause of delight. All pretty, pretty good definitions to summarize. Uh, it's an emotional state. In our vocabulary, joy is an emotional state. It's the expression of that emotional state, to act in a way that reflects that emotion. And it's brought on, it's brought on by an external circumstance, an event, news of an event, something external. 
And if this is accurate, and I believe it is, then joy is in our mindset, our Western American mindset, joy is, at least in some measure, beyond our control. It's a response to stimuli that we may have no control over, and it's a reaction to that stimuli. That's our Western definition, our Western experience. An emotion very dependent on circumstance. The biblical definition would include that, but it's also much larger than that. Yes, it does correspond to our expression of joy, but it's larger. Uh, to look at it in the Old Testament, and I'm not even going to try those Hebrew words this morning. I'm not even going to try. But there's several different Hebrew words that we could talk about. And if we look at them as a group, we come up with the following ideas. In addition to our Western American idea of circumstances or events or something has happened that makes me feel good and I express it in joy, there's also a large corporate element that we don't necessarily uh, have in our Western experience. We can experience joy corporately, but we're just as comfortable doing it individually. And, and even our corporate joy, more often than not, is just a bunch of individuals that happen to be together. But if, for example, you look at the, at the various commandments in the Old Testament, where joy is commanded, if you will, it's usually a corporate thing. God's speaking to his people that you will gather together and you will corporately engage in joy. You will corporately celebrate you will corporately have this joyous experience. That's a big difference there. An even bigger difference, though, is the concept of time. Now, if you think about your own experience or experience of those you know, those times when you have been really joyful, it's because of something that happened right in that moment, right? You got good news check came in the mail. Something happened that made you really happy. It was in that moment that you were joyful, right? The Old Testament is, is very different. It can be a, a matter of recollection on what God did in the past. The people were often instructed to gather and to celebrate or be joyful in, mem in remembrance of what God had done in the past. Two of the three major feasts are specifically directed at remembering what God did in the past. So you'll remember when you were brought out of Egypt and be joyful. You will remember when the angel of death passed over you and you will be joyful. You will remember how I provided for you, God says, as you pass through the wilderness and you will be mindful. So joy can reach into the past. That's, now that is something that we can do in a, in a lesser, these differences are not absolutes. We, we do, in our, in our Western American experience, sometimes in maybe not as significant ways, reach in the past like that to be joyful. Um, we do this in the world of sports. Some of you, um, like myself, condemned by reason of my birth to attach emotion to certain athletic teams, right? I'm doomed to be a Dodger fan. I will be till the day I die. Um, my earliest childhood memories, one of the most pleasant I have is my dad coming home from work, getting in his easy chair, plugging the transistor radio in his ear, and this relaxed, blissful state he would enter as he listened to Dodger games. They were really good back then. They had Sandy Koufax, right? I could tell when Koufax was pitching by the look on my dad's face, you know. Yeah, and so I'm doomed, right? Well, now there's been a lot of frustration, and so what do I want to do when I deal with that frustration? Well, I just plug in on the video something they did 10 years ago, and I can get really happy, you know. You know, 
like it wasn't 10 years ago, but back when they, we have any Atlanta Braves fans here? When they hung 11 runs on Atlanta in the first inning, that makes me happy, right? So I can go, I can, I can be his, I can, I can overcome that time element, but you know what? That really isn't that big of a deal, right? It's pretty trivial. It's not one of the big events of life, right? The bigger events of life, we tend to be pretty right now, this moment, oriented, right? Another thing about the Old Testament and time, it can look forward. I mean, you look at what we read from Habakkuk. It was bad. Israel was in a bad place. They had gone off the deep end into evil and immorality, and as a result, the nation had suffered mightily, and it's a given. Babylon's coming, and they're going to wipe them out. It was just a matter of time. Jerusalem was defenseless, and this mighty army is... The only reason Babylon hasn't invaded yet is they haven't got around to it. They have other peoples to destroy first. Then they're going to come take care of it. It's bad. And yet Ezekiel could say, or rather um, Habakkuk could say, he makes my feet like hinds feet. He looked forward to a time when, when, when the horror that is coming would be in the rearview mirror and things would be better. We think about Mary. And the Magnificat. We think about Elizabeth. You think about the different events of the Christmas event. They were able to both look back and look forward and in this much larger um, perspective on time, find joy. So in the Old Testament, joy is a communal experience that transcends time. And because, or rather, in order to transcend time, it incorporates an element of faith. So a joy that is dependent on faith. And that kind of brings us a little more to the New Testament. We talk about faith transcending time. Uh, there's three different words in the New Testament that describe joy or are translated as joy. Agileome, uh, that's a mouthful. Uh, and that's what the wise men did. And that's an outward demonstration, right? We read in, in, in the gospel that when the wise men were following the star, they saw that the star had stopped. And when at that moment... They rejoiced greatly. Whatever they did, I don't know if they got off their camels and danced. I have no idea. But whatever they did, it was visible. The word meant there was a visible expression of joy, right? Um, that in itself, although, suggests an element of faith. Now think about this. Put your place, yourself in the, in, the, in the place of the wise men. They've been studying this. We talked about this last week for centuries. They've been waiting for this for centuries. And now they see the star and they follow the star and they're across the desert. They just escaped Herod's trap. They, 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 they haven't fallen for Herod's lies. They've managed to get out of Jerusalem, away from Herod. Now they're pursuing it. And they see the star and the star stops and they rejoice. So the star stopped doesn't necessarily mean anything. They still haven't seen the Christ child. They're still not in the presence of the one they were pursuing. But the star stopped. So by faith, they had to make the connection between this you know, astronomical phenomenon and what they were actually looking for. They hadn't seen the connection yet, but by faith, they embraced it. So we see that element of faith beginning to work even at that point. They connected something in the past, what they had been taught, with something they were experiencing presently with a future expectation. They would see the king born. And, of course, they did. Uh, the second word is the word hero. It's very common. Uh, that's the most uh, closely related to our English word joy. Hero. 
to rejoice, to be happy. Uh, it comes from the noun hara, word close to my heart, my wife's name in Greek, hara. You want to address her in Greek, you can call her that. Um, it comes from a root that means to dance, Revo, which you actually may recognize in English from the word choreography to write the dance, right? Horevo is to express oneself and dance. And of course, Middle Easterners, uh, Greek and Jew alike, all, all the Middle East, very much connect the idea of dance with joy, right? It can be a choreographed formal dance, or it can be a spontaneous response of joy. A couple of good examples of that, even on our own culture where we see that, um, again, that marvelous film, Fiddler on the Roof, I love it so much. That great scene where Tebiev is dancing about singing, If I Was a Rich Man. Now think about that for a moment. Is he rich? No. Does he have any immediate prospects of becoming rich? No. But he can still be joyous in the confidence, and he's confident. Who's he talking to the whole song? He's talking to God. His confidence is in a God who has promised to care for him, and so he celebrates. Another example, not necessarily as, as theologically correct, but another example of that Middle Eastern expression of joy, Zorba, right? Starts dancing on the beach. Why? What has happened? Nothing in particular. He's just happy. And so he breaks out into spontaneous. So that whole Middle Eastern Culture is so given to dance an expression of joy, genuine joy, even if the circumstances don't dictate it. And of course, we see so much of that in the New Testament. And then finally, the word efreno, which is a little bit more of a corporate idea. That's uh, in the story of the prodigal sons where we see that. When the prodigal comes home, they celebrate. They have a big party, right? So we look at all of these different words together, um, and we come up with some distinctions. Again, time. Old Testament and New. Joy in Scripture is transcendent of time. Faith. Not a blind faith, not wishful thinking, but, but thinking rooted in the knowledge of the character of God and then worship in community. Our experience, our American experience of joy is individual or corporate, doesn't really matter. It's based on immediate circumstances, what just happened, and it's almost exclusively present tense. Biblical understanding transcends time, is enhanced through communal participation, and requires faith. Now let's talk about the Christmas narrative. The angel said to them, that is the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Hara, there's that word, joy. Mega hara, really big joy, right? What's the big deal, right? Now, in order to understand this, we have to be very deliberate. Understand what this meant to the shepherds and how they reacted to it. We have to be very careful to put ourselves in the shepherd's sandals, right? We have to kind of set aside our whole New Testament. We want to get into their mindset, right? So we have to set aside the whole thing of Christ has been born. He's living a sinless life. He's going to shed his blood for my sins. He's going to die on the cross that I might be, become dead to sin, he will be buried and resurrected again, that I might, through him, participate in death, burial, and resurrection so that I can walk in the newness of life. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the believer so that I can have the Spirit of God resident within me. That whole package deal that is, is what it is to be saved. And if you don't know about that, please talk to Pastor Joyce 
or I after service. That whole package deal, it is to be bought by the precious blood. We have to set all that aside in order to understand these shepherds. They don't have any of this, right? They don't have any of that knowledge. They're just sitting there, you know, tending sheep. Average night, out there on a hillside, outside of town, tending sheep, doing whatever shepherds do. Sitting by the fire, warming their hands, you know, keeping one ear on the sheep, making sure they're okay, right? And then what happens? Boom! Angel of the Lord appears. No warning. He just shows up. Then what happens? Boom! Glory of the Lord appears. Now think back. In their mindset, when the glory of the Lord appears, what does that kind of mean? Not a healthy environment for people to be in. When the glory of the Lord filled the original tabernacle, Moses couldn't go inside. When the glory of the Lord filled the first temple, the priests couldn't go inside. When the glory of the Lord appeared on Sinai, the people backed up and said, Moses, you handle this. It's not the kind of environment people feel comfortable in. The manifest presence of God himself, the glory of the Lord. Then a bunch more angels show up and start singing. They have this tremendous announcement about great joy. Look carefully at what the angel says. He said, which will be joy for all the people. That's important. This message is not for a select few. Because if you're a shepherd, you see yourself on the bottom rung. You're the bottom of society. You're the least of least. And good news is only good news if you're included. Because good news for somebody else may not be good news for you. No, this is for everybody. So shepherd guys, you're included in this, right? They're told for whom the news is. For today... Not tomorrow, not sometime in the future. Today, it's anchored in time. In the city of David, right over there, you don't have to wonder where it is, there has been born for you a Savior. This is exactly what's happening, guys. Today, right now, has been born. Actually, just happened. A Savior who is what? Christ the Lord, the Messiah. An incredibly detailed statement of exactly what they could expect and its relevance to their life, set in time and space. This is a promise made with great specificity. And why is that important? The greater the specificity, the easier it is to attach faith to it. And for the shepherds to get a hold of this is going to require some faith. See, well, how does faith factor in to the shepherd story? Well, look down at verse 15. Verse 15 um, and it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord made known to us. There's a gap in that verse. You can read right by it and not see it. There's a gap right after it came about when the angel had gone away. Angel comes, boom, glory of the Lord. Heavenly choir, heavenly host, Music, song, promise, boom, and then it's over. Like when you turn the computer off and it goes black. And they're same shepherds, same sheep, same fire, same night sky, nothing's changed. Right? And I'm willing to wager, it's not in the text, I can't say it's in the text, but just from the basis of human experience and one particular event in the Old Testament that might help, that at least one of them said, if he didn't say, he thought, something like, 
Mordecai, what'd you put in the stew? Remember that thing in the Old Testament where the prophets are hungry and one of them goes out in the woods and he's collecting herbs and stuff to put in the pot? He accidentally puts the wrong thing in there and they all get sick? That's what happens when you gather stuff randomly out in the woods, right? What'd you put in the stew, man? We are all tripping here. Because as soon as the angel leaves, they have no evidence that it has happened at all except their collective memory. So they're going to have to, by faith, say... Let's go to Jerusalem and see what happened. It would have been so much easier if the angel had said, tell you what, guys, follow me. I'll show you where the child's at, but he didn't do that. The angel left, left them with the dark night sky and the sheep. So they had to exercise a measure of faith to leave those sheep and go into the city to look. Right here in the first Christmas, we see transcendence of time, a corporate experience, and the exercise of faith. How about us? I think we can say when something great happens to us, there is joy and we should celebrate. When something bad happens and there is pain, we should not deny it. Did the prophets ever do that? You, you hear people, I've heard people say, so many people say, some Christians experiencing, some brother or sister is having something really bad, and they're like expressing it, and somebody will say something like, you know, you shouldn't give word to that bad experience. Really? Tell that to the Old Testament prophets. Tell that to Habakkuk. He not only gives word to his pain, he actually gives a laundry list. Fruit failed, figs failed, sheep and oxen gone. Even in light of all, he has no problem giving an exact list of just how bad things are going to be, right? Job, though he slay me. Now that's giving mouth to a bad feeling. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The prophets had no problem enumerating their pain. Paul certainly had no problem. No, we don't deny it. We don't deny it. When something bad happens, we should be prepared to speak the truth. But when we are facing difficulty and pain, we can make a choice. We can expand our concept of joy out time-wise. The God who's been faithful to me in the past and has been promised to be faithful to me in the future despite my pain, is present in this right now. I've shared this example before. I'll share it again because it is so significant for me. Uh, I had been traveling a lot. I'd been away from the family. I was really having a hard time. I knew that Joyce was really sick, and I'm trying to get home, and I'm stuck in Ketchikan, and the weather is unbelievably bad. And I'm sitting in the Ketchikan airport, and I'm watching them de-ice the plane. And they start at one end of one wing, and they go to the other end of the other wing, and then they go right back to the first wing. And it was a continual process of de-icing, trying to get that plane off the ground. And I'm sitting in the airport, and I'm completely, faith is rock bottom. I'm ready to blow a fuse, because Joyce is really sick, and I want to get home. And, 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 uh, Lee Corio pastor sitting next to me and he's observing me in all this process and finally at one point Lee said I've got a question for you John what's that at what point in this process did Jesus cease to be on the throne if there hadn't been witnesses he'd have been a dead man I'm, I'm not making that up I was ready to kill him 
made me so mad until, of course, I realized he was exactly correct. The same God that had been faithful to me before that and would show himself faithful after that was right in that moment. And eventually I got home and things were fine. But when we're in the moment, if we can't see the before and the after, it's really easy to lose any, any trace of joy. But when we do connect it to the God who's been faithful in the past, has promised to be faithful in the future, we can begin to see his faithfulness in the presence. And then we make a deliberate decision to act in faith. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Jesus had to exercise faith. I know that rocks a lot of people's theology. He's both the author of our faith and the perfecter of it, meaning he worked on it. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him in the future... Endured the cross, present tense, despising the shame. Think about that word despising. That word is an intellectual process. It means to think of something in a very specific way. It means to think of something as being not worth thinking of, not worth getting hung up on, not of significance. Yes, it's real, but I will not attribute significance to it. That's what he did with the shame of the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Another thing that's really critical, and I think this is, I know, kind of, I'll wrap up with this, is to make our experience of the moment and our endeavor to expand that and see the God that's been in the past and be in the future to, and, and strengthen us in our faith to make the matter communal, corporate. Now, I'm not saying we have to stand up and share all of our personal details. I mean, you want to, you can. I'm not saying that we have to, you know, spill our guts uh, in the middle of a congregation. But I am saying this. I am saying this. That when we step into corporate worship, oh, we sell worship so short in our Christian experience. We think of, we think of worship too many times in the same way we think of joy. If I, if I, if I have a good emotional response to what happens during worship, that was good. And if I don't, well, that wasn't so good. Oh, it's so much more than that. It's so much more than my emotional experience at the moment of, of corporate worship. Because when I in, am engaged in corporate worship, so much more than that is happening. My faith is being built. I am being strengthened as I engage with the collective body of Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the songs that we sing and the words that come out of our mouth, I hope you pay attention to the words we sing. I can assure you that our, our worship leaders pick these songs pray, prayerfully. That's the word I want. Prayerfully, thoughtfully. And the words mean things. And when we think about the words that we sing, we are reminded of what God has done in the past, and that builds faith. When we think about the words we're singing collectively, we have an anticipation confidently of what he will do in the future, and faith is built. Oh, collective worship is so important because it builds our faith. So when we do these things, this is what I'm reminded of as I read about Mary and Joseph and going into Bethlehem and all that happened. We do these things. We grow in the long view, seeing the work of God, past and future as well as present. We add faith to the equation that strengthens us. 
and we bring communal faith and worship into our hearts. For me, that is what? That's a big part of the joy of the Lord. Yes, this is a season where the joy of the Lord is made manifest. Even if I'm having a rough time. That's the beauty of the season. Father, I thank you. Let's stand together this morning. Father, I thank you that we can, because of what you have done, Lord, because of the instruction of your word, Lord, we can um, rise above the inevitable difficulties and challenges. And Father, it seems like sometimes when we come to this time of year, the Christmas season, it's like a lamp gets shown on the hard stuff. It's like a, there's a focus on the family problems or financial problems or health problems, Lord. And that can really draw us back from what the season is. But Father, I think if we can do these things, we can think deliberately about the God who's been with us in the past and will be with us in the future. We can see you in our present, even in our difficulties. Father, when we add faith, a faith that the Christmas, the account of Christmas that we read, the birth of your son, Father, that builds faith in our hearts, Lord. And then when we participate with the body of believers, Father, again, faith is built in our heart. That gives us, Father, the kind of Christmas season that we desire. Help us, we pray, to that end. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a glorious week just being the people of God.